We're now going to, in part two of Learning Outcome 5, look at teamwork. We'll be considering the different characteristics and benefits of effective teamwork. We'll be thinking about the factors that affect us when managing virtual teams. And we'll be thinking about some tools that we can use to help us understand how we create and develop effective teams. So let's now think about what makes an effective team. An effective team isn't just a group of individuals that come together. Often they are called a team before they've actually become a team. It takes time and effort to build an effective team. So let's think about what the characteristics of an effective team are. An effective team has a good blend of skills. They're diverse and have a variety of social types. They tend to be self-motivated and have high morale. They enjoy working together and team members will support other team members, not just working towards individual goals and objectives. They remain focused and have alignment around common goals. They also understand how each member participates in the objectives that they're trying to deliver. And there is a general sense of trust amongst team members. And what are the benefits of an effective team? All the research shows that high performing teams tend to be more productive and more innovative and more creative. So the benefits of, of having an effective team are many. It tends to mean there's a wider range of ideas, that they're better able to motivate themselves. They actively pro and proactively bounce ideas off one another and become more creative. They tend to take more risks as a team, but support each other in the achievement of any objectives they have. They tend to have a wide range of personalities that are balanced across the team. And they are focused not only on tasks, but also on the support of each other. So let's think about how this differs in virtual teams. It's well known that co-location is often a key ingredient that it builds an effective team. It enables those informal chats around the coffee machine, tends to lead to a more immediate sense of belonging. It allows people to get to know each other outside of work through shared stories. And it enables people to get have a sense of identity as a team together. But how does this change when a team is virtual? In today's world, there's an increasing prevalence of virtual working. And with that have come many benefits. It shows a greater willingness to allow flexible working practices. It perhaps lowers the carbon footprint by less travel. So there's some positive effect, effects, including things like often lower costs as well. But with virtual working also come some challenges. Some of the difficulties include that it can be harder to develop deep relationships. It's harder to make a team gel together and there may be a, a less willingness to actually trust one another in the team. It's often harder to build strong morale and people may be working at different times and in different locations, which can also make things like communication harder to achieve. And there may be cultural differences as well if the team is geographically dispersed. So what are some of the things that we can do to overcome some of the pitfalls of virtual working? There are a number of things we can consider. You need to consider how you might increase the social interactions, either through written communications or through instant messaging or indeed phone calls. 
You can also use things like video conferencing. I know in my own work today, I use Microsoft Teams, I use Skype, and there are other tools that enable me to make contact with individual. And this increases the personalization of those contacts as you can see the individual, and it's like being in the same room with them. You also need to create clear direction. Often when people are working in a virtual team, they don't understand what other people are doing and how other people contribute. So make sure people are connected via a common goal that's re-emphasised regularly so that people understand what each of them are doing to the overall task. And then you may want to consider things like collaboration tools. I've used something called Trello in the past, but it enables collective notice boards to be accessed online that help to bond a team and enable them work to work more effectively together. So what then are some of the factors that need to be considered in developing and leading teams? You need to think about the skills that the individuals have. It's best if you have a blend of skills and different character types. Indeed, all the research suggests that different skill types and personality types are more effective when combined in a team and deliver better results. You also need to consider the locations of teams and how that impacts things like communication. If people are dispersed or working at different times, think about how you will actually develop communication protocols that are effective for all and keep people aligned around a common purpose. And you may need to think about the allocation of resources. Do you have them allocated to you full time? If, for example, you have some resources that are split between project work and business as usual work, then they may be pulled in different directions. So you need to make sure you consider that in how you manage a team remotely. We're now going to consider a couple of models that can be used to help facilitate effective team development. And the two models that we're going to look at are Belbin's team inventory and Tuchman's stages of group development. Let's think about Belbin first. Belbin introduced a personality inventory that analysed the degree to which individuals prefer to behave in a certain way in a team environment. This is important because it was identified in this research that in order for teams to be perfective, people need to perform different roles. In all, he identified nine different roles. There were originally eight, but a ninth one was developed later. And for each of these roles, there will be characteristics that demonstrate how they both contribute to the team and also any allowable weaknesses. The roles were developed, sorry, can be divided into three different types of roles. Those that are action-oriented, those that are more thinking-oriented, and those that are more social. And all of these elements are important for an effective team. It's important to stress here, there's no one right type of role. You need all of them to be effective. For example, the plant is great at generating new ideas, but may struggle to communicate effectively, sometimes being preoccupied. The team worker, for example, who may be a great mediator and is great at smoothing relations in times of crisis in a project, may under pressure um, avoid making a decision and likes to avoid conflict. So it's important that the leader understands these different roles. And if you want more details on these, please do reference your PMQ book, where you can find all the details around the relative strengths and weaknesses of the different role types. You might want to consider if you've got 
a reasonable spread of these different roles in your current organisation, and if not, how you might fill those gaps. Next, we'll look at Tuchman's stages of group development model. This was a helpful model at showing the, the different stages that a team goes, goes through before it's developed. It starts with a forming stage. This is when the individuals come together, they have little understanding or clarity of the goals required, and typically the leader will need to direct them. They then may enter the storming phase. The storming phase is when there is slightly better understanding of the team objectives, but now individuals may vie for position. They haven't yet learned to work with one another effectively, and they will often question the leader's uh, role and the processes they're being asked to follow. In this stage, there is much more coaching required to bring the team to the same level. They will then enter the norming stage. The norming stage is when there's much more consensus and understanding of team goals. People have started to work together more effectively and the leader's role is one more of facilitation. Once this is established, teams can then reach a performing stage. The performing stage is when the team works well together. There may still be conflict, but they sort it out themselves. They work autonomously, and there is very little need for the leader to become involved. The leader will typically only get involved when asked a particular requirement for a decision, or if they see a drop in quality. The fifth stage was added much later by Tuchman, and it's called the adjourning, or sometimes the mourning phase. And this phase is about when the project is now needing to close down. There may be insecurity amongst team members about what happens next. And it's important at this stage to reassure team members and to celebrate successes and make sure that there's time for reflection on lessons learned. The important thing about Tuchman's model is to remember that whilst all teams will progress through these stages, they can also regress to stages. For example, if there's a new team member, or there's been unfair treatment of a team member, then team members may actually regress back and begin storming again. So it's very important that the leader uses this model to help maintain high levels of morale and motivation and to make sure that the team maintains its performing state. We're now going to consider how we can accelerate the team through the first stages of Tuchman's model, getting them as fast as possible to becoming a performing team. Some of the things that we can do to, to accelerate this are some practical things. Holding a team kickoff is important for establishing a consensus of what everybody's here to do and what the team objectives are. Making sure that everyone has clear roles and responsibilities. Ensuring that the leader coaches individuals so that they understand the tasks they've been given and can buy into those is important. It's also important that there's clear communication throughout the project, holding regular team meetings and allowing perhaps lunchtime uh, sessions for people to come together are all ways that will help to the team to bond and form an effective team. It's also important to remember that you reprimand in private, but praise in public. Similarly, the team should celebrate successes together and actually commiserate failures as a team. All of these things will help to build motivation in the team. 
by making sure the leader recognises individuals and rewards them appropriately and gives them opportunities for skills development, the team can actually grow and develop as one and can become a really high performing team.